Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR. Your host, David Gill here. Hope everybody's having a great week. I certainly am. Real quick before we get into the show, I just wanted to say that on Tuesday, I had a whole podcast talking about internet censorship, the whole Alex Jones InfoWars debacle that went down. If you uh, wanted to hear my thoughts on that, that whole episode was dedicated to it. And also, if you are not visiting MGREdge.com, you're missing out. We post stuff there all the time, and uh, we have lots of content going up very frequently, so if you don't have it bookmarked, you're missing out, MGREdge.com. Anyways, we have a lot to talk about this week, so let's get into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. So Samsung released the Note 9 this week, and I'm not really sure who it's for. So it's got a big screen, it's got great hardware specs like 6 gigs or uh, 8 gigs of RAM depending on which version you get. It's got a stylus, it's got a micro SD card slot that can add up to 512 gigabytes of space. All of these specs are great and especially you know last week i talked about the smartphone wars and the war for the indian market especially where there are over a billion people who are looking to buy smartphones and that this war would be taking place between samsung and apple and huawei and other companies and this samsung phone has all the specs that i talked about the big bigger screen the micro sd card slot all of that up you know 500 gigs of space lots of ram these are all things that the indian market uh has shown to care about a lot but there's one problem this phone costs either a thousand dollars or 1250 depending on which version you get that's not a price that's going to be competitive in India. Uh, It's not going to appeal to the mass market because people in India quite simply cannot afford a phone that costs $1,000 or more. So that's why I say I'm not really sure who this is for. Since they're not competing in India, they're going to be trying to compete in the U.S. and Europe. But most people who don't buy iPhones are looking for a lower-priced alternative. But this phone costs just as much as an iPhone 10, and it's more expensive than an iPhone 8, which again leads me to my point, who is this phone for? I guess it's appealing to the niche market of hardware aficionados and phone gamers, but those are very small markets. There's not that many people that care a ton about the hardware in the US and Europe when it comes to smartphones. And there's very few smartphone gamers. Now, Fortnite is coming out. Obviously, Fortnite is the biggest uh, game in the world right now. And it is coming to Android soon. But again, uh, I don't think that's really enough to push tons of units of this phone. So... I'm not really sure what Samsung's strategy is with all this. You know, the phone does seem to be great. I mean, it's gotten a lot of good reviews. A lot of people like it. The hardware is obviously great. It's a top-of-the-line phone. But, you know, it's about who it's targeting. Who's the target 
market for this, and that's not really clear to me. And obviously, Samsung makes money by selling millions of units, and I just don't think that there's a market out there for people. I don't think that there's any group that is going to push millions of units of sales for this phone. So a bit perplexing as to what Samsung's thought process was with this, but um, I don't know. We'll have to see how this all goes. Maybe this is a precursor for another phone that will be similar, but maybe they can make it a little cheaper and then go into the Indian market. Because again, all the specs and everything are there, but it's just too expensive for the Indian market. So I'm not really sure where they are going with this. But speaking of overpriced devices that no one is going to buy, the Magic Leap 1 started shipping this week. Ouch, I know, that kind of hurt, right? Was that was that too mean? But uh, anyways, the CEO of Magic Leap, back in February, said that the first headset would cost as much as a high-end smartphone, meaning around $1,200 maybe, $1,500 max, even though no smartphones really sell for $1,500, but I was guessing around $1,200. And they unveiled the price to be $2,300. That's the price of a very good computer, let alone a smartphone. For those of you who don't know who Magic Leap is, by the way, uh, it's an AR, augmented reality, uh, headset company that has been hyped and has raised billions of dollars over the year. Uh, and they finally came out with their first uh, consumer product. So the price shock on top of the lackluster reviews means that very few people will probably be buying this thing. Uh, reviews have said that the, the device has promise, but it's not groundbreaking, right? So the biggest, most heavily touted thing by uh, HoloLens was their hand tracking and... Uh, it's just not that good. The hand tracking is very, very limited. It, you mostly have to use a remote control that comes with it, which makes it just like every other headset. And the device has a very small um, field of view, which means that you have this like tunnel vision feeling. It feels like you're looking through like binoculars or something, um, which isn't very good because these are supposed to be ideally something you could, you know, use in everyday life and kind of just walk around but using a headset and have holograms all over the place so having complete tunnel vision is not going to be good for that and the actual you know holograms themselves are limited too they're not really up to the expectations shown in their many demos and previews that they've been putting up for years now the the AR overall from what I've heard and what I've seen in reviews obviously I haven't had the device myself is that it's not much better than the Microsoft HoloLens, which came out in 2016. That's not good for a company that's raised billions of dollars and has had years of hype uh, invested into it. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, this is only a, a V1 developer edition, so I'm sure they have much more up their sleeve. But overall, this has been pretty disappointing for the company that has promised to be the uh, Apple of the future, really, right? They're, they're, they want to be the next Apple, but their main device is an AR headset versus a phone or a Mac or something like that. So far, they have not hit on that premise, not even close, and especially at the price that they're at, being double what people expected. I don't expect anyone to buy this, at least not anyone that's a consumer, only maybe a few developers and super AR nerds. Um, and listen, you guys know I'm a huge AR fan, and I think AR is going to be massive 
a few years down the road from now. So I was really looking forward to this releasing, and depending on how good it was, I thought maybe I'll look into buying one for myself, but that's certainly not going to happen now. All right, now it's time for your weekly Apple update. This is not part of the regular show, but I just feel like I talk about Apple so much that it's basically an Apple a weekly Apple update. But anyways, two uh, major things. So first, Apple has hired Doug Field, who's the ex-head of engineering at Tesla, or was the ex-head of engineering at Tesla. He's reportedly teaming up with Bob Mansfield at Apple. Bob Mansfield happens to be the head of Apple's Project Titan, which is their Apple car project. The rumors have about Apple coming out with a car have been swirling for years at this point. And I've been skeptical, but obviously reports like these certainly make it appear that Apple may be getting into the car business. Now, what their approach will be and business model will be, how they're going to differentiate themselves uh, is unclear. But maybe this is a sign that, yes, they actually are getting into the car business. I, I don't know, though. And the other major news story about Apple this week is Apple Pay. So last week, I talked about Apple's numbers when they hit a $1 trillion valuation. Um, but the report, one new report that I didn't talk about was Apple Pay. So Apple Pay has been growing kind of slowly for years now, but it's gotten a bump and users increased by about 22% year over year. And now basically making it so that about a third of iPhone users now use Apple Pay and the number of transactions on Apple Pay, uh, per quarter has quadrupled year over year. So they're getting about a billion transactions a quarter, meaning more people are now using Apple Pay and Apple Pay users are using it more and more often. And Apple is projecting that they'll reach 3 billion transactions a quarter next year. So they're expecting that to triple again. This is one of the many services that will continue to grow and supplement Apple's revenue, but it could very soon make up a much, a very decent percentage of Apple's overall revenue and help them continue to grow, right? Because that's the big question with Apple. Okay, they're a trillion dollar company now, very successful, very impressive, but where do you go from here? Well, Apple Pay could be one of those revenue sources that no one really anticipated, and it could end up being very large for them. So up next, our next story, 2018 is set to be another record year for venture capital funding. So in 2017, there was $98 billion in unicorn funding, unicorn being companies that are valued at $1 billion or more. Um, in 2018 so far, through July in the first seven months of the year, there's been approximately $73 billion in funding, which sets us on pace to hit about uh, $125-ish billion. Obviously, that's a projection. It's hard to tell exactly where we'll end up, but it's looking like we will have a 25% year-over-year growth in terms of the amount of money that is flowing into venture capital. Now, money has been flooding in uh, for a few reasons. One of the reasons uh, really is because there's low yields globally at, uh, at central banks, right? You have low interest rates pretty much worldwide. So the chase for yield outside of uh, traditional bonds and central banks is greater. And also another reason is because, well, 
there's very few other avenues of investment that can get you 100x returns or you know the promise of 100x returns obviously nothing is guaranteed uh and so if you were a uh, investor with a lot of money and you hear oh yeah you could turn your uh, 100 million into 10 billion with the right investments that's very very attractive and if you have any type of track record as an angel or a vc it's never been easier to raise a fund with a few hundred million dollars or so because money is just flying in there's new funds popping up all the time hence why there's you know we're on track to have 120 billion into a relatively small ecosystem of companies and plus on top of these new funds popping up you've got softbank with their 100 billion dollar fund you've got the saudi um sovereign wealth fund that has just ungodly amounts of money and you've got other huge funds as well there's just lots of money flowing into this space and uh, I don't know how long it will continue. I mean, at the end of the day, most of these companies, you know, you can only have so many companies hit on these 10, 20, 50, 100x returns. So I don't know if this is a bubble. I'm not going to call it a bubble. But I think that, you know, when you see just everyone and their mother trying to get into an investment, it might be time a, a good time to kind of take the foot off the gas a bit and reassess the overall market but that's just my opinion the final story of this week is about bitmain bitmain is one of the world's largest cryptocurrency mining companies and they are ready to go public but get this at a 50 billion dollar valuation so they're looking to raise about 18 billion dollars in the public markets making it the biggest IPO since Facebook. In fact, it will be a bigger IPO than Facebook. Uh, they're not public yet, but reports state that they expect to make a profit of $2 billion this year, which obviously would value, validate that $50 billion valuation that they're looking to get. Um, but my only question about this company is, so they're, they're basically a crypto mining company, which means that they uh, use massive amounts of computing power to mine cryptocurrencies. But, you know, how much will their stock price and their company valuation be affected by the price fluctuations in crypto? And would the value of the company go down over time? Because as mining cryptocurrencies, uh, especially like Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? The value that you can generate from mining them goes down every year as more and more coins or tokens are mined. And so, and obviously eventually there will be no more coins, especially Bitcoin to be mined and same with Ethereum. So I'm not sure how their uh, business plans to continue to grow. Obviously, I'm sure they're going to rely on new currencies popping up. Maybe they plan on uh, not just crypto mining for themselves, but renting out their servers. I don't know, but certainly interesting. Obviously, there's a, a lot of money that in this space, right? They're making a profit of $2 billion, which is very impressive for a new, com a relatively young company such as themselves. They're only a few years old. So to be getting $2 billion in profits that fast is... Uh, listen, very, very impressive. But I, I wonder how they will be affected by the fluctuations. And, and I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, that's really it for this week, guys. Thank you so much for 
listening. If you did enjoy, please share this podcast with one person you think would also enjoy it. That's it for me, guys. I hope you have a great week. Bye-bye.